Let's take a Bible this morning and turn to Genesis chapter 37. <clears throat> Genesis 37 this morning. And <clears throat> uh, let's begin reading from verse 17, just the second half of verse 17 there. Genesis 37 and second half of verse 17. It says, And Joseph went after his brethren and found them in Dothan. And when they saw him afar off, even before he came near unto them, they conspired against him to slay him. And they said one to another, Behold, this dreamer cometh. Let's commit our time to the Lord in prayer. Dear Lord and Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, once again that we are able to be here this morning. We're able to come together as a body of believers and spend time around your word. Lord, I pray this morning as we uh, study your word, that you would teach us, that you would instruct us through it. Lord, I pray that you would empower me through the Spirit, that you would give me wisdom and guidance now as I speak. And Lord, this morning you would uh, refresh us, bless us through your word, challenge us by your word. And Lord, may you receive all the glory, the honor, and the praise. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, of course, last Sunday we concluded with Joseph on his way to Dothan and uh, arriving to find his brothers finally after such a long journey. He'd been sent, of course, on that uh, mission by his father to go and check on his brothers to see how they were going, to check on their, their safety as well, and, of course, to check on the flocks. And then he was to return home to his father and give a report. And so as Joseph arrived there at Dothan, his intentions were pure. He was there for the right reasons. He was there uh, obeying the will of his father. But as we know, his brother's treatment of him was horrible, to say the least. And what we see in this uh, terrible story is the outworking of sin when it is left undealt with in our hearts. Now, in particular, the sins of hatred and envy. You know, repeatedly already in Genesis chapter 37, we've seen that God's word has repeatedly stated that the hatred that Joseph's brothers had towards him and also the envy that existed in their hearts. In verse 4, we read that his, the hatred of him was so strong they couldn't speak peaceably under him. Let's just read that. Genesis 37 verse 4 <clears throat> says, And when his brothers saw that his father loved him more than all his brethren, they hated him and could not speak peaceably under him. They couldn't even say hello, peace be to thee. Such was the hatred in their hearts. And, and we talked about how that hatred stemmed from the fact that he brought home that evil report concerning their actions. He'd <clears throat> gone home and told their father what they'd been up to in the field. And they also hated him because their father had overlooked them and chosen Joseph to receive the birthrights. And then, of course, in verse 5 and verse 8, we see that hatred intensified as Joseph shares with them his dreams. Just look there in verse 5. It says, And Joseph dreamed a dream, and he told it to, uh, told it his brethren, and they hated him yet the more. And then in verse 8 it says, <clears throat> His brethren said to him, Shalt thou indeed reign over us, or shalt thou indeed have dominion over us? And they hated him yet the more for his dreams and for his words. And so as we saw, Joseph shares these two dreams with his brethren, these dreams which are prophetic revelation from the Lord. God 
revealed to him things concerning the future, and he shared them with his family. He was full of zeal to share it, uh, full of boldness. But they hated him even more because they hated the implication of the dreams. They hated that the dreams implied that one day they would bow down before him and they would acknowledge his authority over them. And then, of course, in verse 11, it says that not only did they hate him, but they also envied him. Verse 11 says, and his brethren envied him, but his father observed the saying. They envied him. They were full of jealousy towards Joseph. Jealousy because of the dreams that he had had, uh, because of what the dreams meant for him. And the fact that God had spoken to him instead of speaking to them. And so they're, they're full of envy towards him as well. You see, God's word has made it abundantly clear to us in the first section of the chapter, the feelings of Joseph's brothers towards him. They hated him. They were full of envy. And we could also say that with those goes bitterness. There's bitterness in their hearts. And there's anger and there's wrath. You know, God's word is very clear that these are all very dangerous sins. They're dangerous sins, which if left unchecked, will only result in greater wickedness. They only lead to more sin. You know, the book of Hebrews, of course, talks about the, the root of bitterness. And the root of bitterness within, that it poisons the whole, it destroys the whole from within. The Apostle James likewise warns us in James chapter 1, that anger only results in unrighteousness. Just turn over there, James chapter 1. <clears throat> in James chapter 1 and verse 19, it says, Wherefore, my beloved brethren, let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath, for the wrath of man worketh not the righteousness of God. When we let our wrath get the best, the best, the better of us, when we lash out in anger, as we see the brothers do here this morning, it results in unrighteousness, not righteousness. It results in unholiness. It results in further sin. And sadly, that's exactly what we see here from these brothers this morning. They had not dealt with the sin that was in their hearts, and now that sin would come out in their horrible, wicked treatment of Joseph. And in the passage before us this morning, we see their hatred, their envy, their bitterness revealed in every action that they now take. And so we see, first of all, their hatred and envy led to them conspiring against him. <clears throat> they conspired against him. Just look there in verse 18. It says, And when they saw him afar off, even before he came near unto them, they conspired against him to slay him. And they said one to another, Behold, this dreamer cometh. Come now, therefore, let us slay him and cast him into some pit, and we will say some evil beast hath devoured him, and we shall see what will become of his dreams. <clears throat> Excuse me. Now, remember at this time, Joseph, he's been on the road already for quite a few days, hasn't he? Remember, he left Hebron. He's traveled up to Shechem, and we said last week it was around about 95 kilometers he arrives in Shechem and he finds out his brothers aren't there. And so he looks around, he's searching. Someone tells him they've gone to Dothan. And so he travels a further 30 kilometers to Dothan. So he's been on the road for a long time. He's traveled 125 kilometers in search of his brothers. It tells us something about not only his love for his father and respect for him, but also his love for his brothers too. He cares about them. And you know, Joseph must have been relieved 
and filled with joy when he saw them in the distance there at the end of verse 17. And Joseph went after his brethren and found them in Dothan. When he saw them, you know, he came over that crest or wherever it was and he saw his brethren in the valley or wherever they were, he must have been relieved and filled with joy. Relieved not only that his journey was over, but more importantly that he'd found his brethren alive and safe. He must have been relieved, filled with joy. You know, while Joseph is relieved, filled with joy, the reaction from his brothers is the complete opposite, isn't it? You know, in verse 18 it says, And when they saw him afar off, even before he came near unto them, they conspired against him to slay him. Their reaction is the complete opposite. Joseph, filled with joy, relief. They see him and they're filled with hatred and envy. They see him in the distance and they now conspire to commit murder. That's what they're conspiring to do. There's no two ways about it. They're conspiring to commit murder. In verse 19 and 20, we, we see exactly what they plan to do. And I know we know the story well. It says verse 19, And they said one to another, Behold, this dreamer cometh. Come now therefore, and let us slay him and cast him into some pits. And we will say some evil beast hath devoured him, and we shall see what will become of his dreams. Here we see exactly what they conspired to do. You know, driven by their hatred and their envy, their bitterness that's in their heart, the brothers here plan to kill Joseph and then they plan to callously cast his body into a pit. They're not even going to give him a burial. They're just going to throw him into a pit. It says something about their hearts, doesn't it? The callousness that's in their hearts. And then, of course, they plan to go home and lie to their father, claiming that he'd been killed by a wild beast. You know, we read this and it's, it's hard to understand how brothers would ever get to such a point. But such was the hatred and the contempt that they had for Joseph. You see, this really, that they're conspiring here to commit murder, this really was just the outworking of what was already in their hearts. The commentator Wearsby writes this, The combination of hatred and envy is lethal. It simmers in the heart and waits for the spark that will set off the explosion. The brothers didn't have to be tempted in order to decide to harm Joseph. All they needed was the opportunity. That's all they needed, the opportunity. And now as Joseph arrives and they're so far from home, they're so far removed from their father's watchful gaze, the opportunity has presented itself to them, hasn't it? The opportunity for them to now do what they'd already done in their hearts, kill their brother. You know, in the New Testament, Christ warns that this is exactly where the sin of murder begins. It begins in the heart. Turn over to Matthew chapter 5 with me. <clears throat> we looked at this passage on Wednesday nights, Matthew chapter 5. It's a sermon on the mount, but Christ, of course, speaks about this, this issue. Matthew, Matthew chapter 5, verse 21 says, ye have heard that it was said by them of old time, Thou shalt not kill, and whosoever shall kill shall be in danger of the judgment. But I say unto you, that whosoever is angry with his brother without a cause shall be in danger of the judgment. And whosoever shall say to his brother, Raka, shall be in danger of the council. But whosoever shall say, Thou fool, shall be in danger of hell fire. Now Christ speaks about the fact that if you've done it in your heart, you've already killed the person. You've already killed them. Murder doesn't just happen. It just randomly happens. Murder begins with an attitude of heart, hatred, envy, bitterness, anger. 
wrath. And when the opportunity then presents itself, men act upon what's in their hearts. You know, 1 John 3 verse 15 expresses that same truth. Just quickly turn there. 1 John 3 and verse 15 says, Whosoever hateth his brother is a murderer. And you know that no murderer hath eternal life abiding in him. Whosoever hateth his brother is a murderer. It starts in the heart. You see, these brothers, they were already guilty before God, weren't they? They were already guilty of murder. Before they ever did the physical action, they were already guilty before God. They hated Joseph without a cause, as Christ says there in Matthew chapter 5. And now they conspired to act upon what was in their hearts. They conspired to physically murder their own brother. But you know, we also see here that there was a contempt not just for Joseph, but there was also a contempt for the word of God. Go back to Genesis 37 and verse 20. It says, Come now therefore and let us slay him and cast him into some pit, and we will say some evil beast hath devoured him, and we shall see what will become of his dreams. You know, so they say, and we shall see what will become of his dreams. They knew whose dreams they were. They were God's. Remember we talked about Joseph revealing it to his brothers, and we talked about how they envied him because they understood these dreams came from the Lord. They knew they were from God. They were prophetic revelation. And so when they say here, and we will see what will become of his dreams, they are determined to stop God's will from happening, aren't they? They're determined to stop God's plan. They're trying to work against God here, aren't they? You see, they had contempt not just for Joseph, but also for God and his word. It reveals to us just how far they were from a right relationship with the Lord. But of course, there was one brother who spoke out against committing the sin of murder, and that's Reuben. And we see that in verse 21. It says, And Reuben heard it, and he delivered him out of their hands, and said, Let us not kill him. And Reuben said unto them, Shed no blood. But cast him into this pit that is in the wilderness, and lay no hand upon him, that he might rid him out of their hands to deliver him to his father again. <clears throat> Verse 21 and 22 reveal to us that there was one brother who spoke out. It's Reuben. And he said there in verse <clears throat> 21 to have delivered him out of their hands. He prevented them from committing murder. He suggested instead that they take him and they cast him alive into the pits. Instead of killing him first, just cast him in alive. It was Reuben's intention, as we read there in verse 22, to come back later and to rescue Joseph out of the pit and send him back home to their father. And Reuben's actions here are indeed commendable, aren't they? They're commendable. He speaks up and he stops his brothers from committing murder. But Reuben's actions surely didn't go far enough either, did they? They didn't go far enough. You see, Reuben here, he had the opportunity to speak out boldly against their sinful actions and to tell them to leave Joseph alone and by doing so, perhaps rescue him from the whole situation. He had the chance here to do that, didn't he? To speak out, rescue Joseph from the whole situation and send him home. But he doesn't speak out enough, does he? He says, let's not kill him, let's just throw him into the pits. He doesn't do enough. He prevents them from murder but he doesn't stop their evil treatment of Joseph, and indeed, he has a part in it. 
He's still there when they strip him of the coat. He's there when they throw him in the pit. He's got a part in all this. And so while his actions are commendable, he's certainly not innocent, is he? He's not innocent. He still has hatred and envy in his heart. It's still the root cause here for him as well. And he's still had a part in these terrible events. And as we'll see at the end of the story, he still readily agrees to lie to their father and to cover up this sin, this wickedness. And so we see their hatred and their envy revealed as they conspire against him, conspire to commit murder. We see it secondly revealed now as they cast him into the pit. Look in verse 23. It says, And it came to pass when Joseph was come unto his brethren, that they stripped him, Joseph out of his coat, his coat of many colours that was on him. And they took him and cast him into a pit, and the pit was empty, and there was no water in it, and they sat down to eat bread. In verse 23, we see Joseph, he now arrives on the scene. You know, he's now made that last little journey to Dothan. He's now with his brethren. And what do the brothers immediately do? They grab him and they strip him of his coat, it says in verse 23. And it came to pass when Joseph was come unto his brethren that they stripped Joseph out of his coat, his coat of many colours that was on him. Why do they strip him of his coat? Why is this the very first thing they do? Because they hate this coat, don't they? They hate this coat because it's the symbol, it's the symbol of everything they hate about Joseph. It was the symbol that declared that he had been chosen to receive the birthright from their father. And it was a constant reminder of how Joseph was favoured by their father. It was a reminder of how Joseph pleased their father. Remember, that was the reason his father favoured him. He pleased his father because he was a godly man. He feared the Lord. And so the coat was a reminder of that. And at the same time, it was a reminder of the disappointment they were to their father as well, wasn't it? It highlighted both, highlighted Joseph's righteousness and their unrighteousness. I don't know about you, but that reminded me of Cain and Abel. You know, Cain and Abel. Cain hated Abel. Why? Because of his righteousness. 1 John 3 verse 12 declares that he slew Abel because his own works were evil and his brother's righteous. That's why he rose up and slew him. He saw that Abel was favoured by God because of his righteous actions, his righteousness, and Cain hated him for it. It highlighted his unrighteousness, didn't it? You see, Joseph's brothers here are no different. They saw that Joseph was favoured by their father because of his righteousness, and they hated him for it. And thus, when he arrived, they strip him of the thing that is the symbol of all of that. The t symbol, the, the token, if you like, of that favour, of that privilege. The symbol of Joseph's righteousness and their unrighteousness. In verse 24, we see that they then proceed to cast him into a pit. It says in verse 24, And they took him and cast him into a pit, and the pit was empty, and there was no water in it. They cast him into a pit. Now this pit, most commentators believe, was an empty cistern that was there in the region of Dothan. And the name Dothan actually is believed to mean two cisterns. And so there's two cisterns in this region, storage wells. And it's into one of these that they cast him, one of these that's empty at this time. They, they cast Joseph. And commentator Wearsby notes this, cisterns were usually quite deep and had long, narrow openings that would be too high for a prisoner to reach. 
in order to get out, you'd need someone to lower a rope and pull you up. And so he's thrown into this cistern through this narrow opening down into this dark, wet, damp situation. He's lowered down in there. You know, the prophet Jeremiah was put into a, a similar pit in Jeremiah 38. Just go over there. <clears throat> Jeremiah 38 verse 6 says, then, then took they Jeremiah and cast him into the dungeon of Malchiah, the son of Hamelech, that was in the court of the prison. And they let down Jeremiah with cords. And in the dungeon there was no water but mire. So Jeremiah sunk in the mire. We read of Jeremiah being lowered down with cords into a similar pit cistern. And it says that he sank into the mire at the bottom. This gives us an idea of the situation young Joseph finds himself in, doesn't it? He's lowered down into this system. System, sorry, he's sitting in this dark, damp, cold place on his own, probably sinking into the mire. It's a horrible situation to find himself in, and his own brothers put him there. But you know what makes it even worse is the start of verse 25. Verse 25 says, And they sat down to eat bread. They sat down to eat bread. Verse 25, the start there, highlights for us the complete lack of love and concern for Joseph. You know, having treated him so terribly, torn the coat off him and then put him into this cistern, they then sit down and calmly have a meal. That speaks of the hardness of their hearts, is not? The hardness of their hearts because of their hatred and their envy, their bitterness, it's hardened them to the point where they can sit calmly by as their brother is suffering. Chapter 42, Genesis 42, tells us that they heard his suffering. Genesis 42 and verse 21. <clears throat> it says, And they said one to another, We are verily guilty concerning our brother, in that we saw the anguish of his soul when he besought us, and we would not hear. Therefore, is this distress come upon us. It says that they saw the anguish of his soul. They saw the anguish of his soul as they stripped him of his coat, as they cast him into the pit. They heard his cries for help, pleading with them not to do this. But they sat down and they ate a meal, ignoring his pleas, ignoring his cries. You see, the brothers were cold and indifferent to the suffering of their brother. Their hearts have been hardened by hatred, poisoned by envy and bitterness. And as they now sit and calmly eat their meal, they discuss what they're going to do with Joseph next. And that brings us to our third point. We see that their hatred and envy is revealed as they sell him as a slave. They sell him as a slave. Look in verse 25 again. It says, And they sat down to eat bread, and they lifted up their eyes and looked. And behold, a company of Ishmaelites came from Gilead with their camels bearing spicery and balm and myrrh, going to carry it down to Egypt. And Judas, Judas sorry, said unto his brethren, What profit is it if we slay our brother and conceal his blood? Come, let us sell him to the Ishmaelites, and let not our hand be upon him, for he is our brother and our flesh. 
and his brethren were content. Then they passed by Midianite merchantmen, and they drew and lifted up Joseph out of the pit and sold Joseph to the Ishmaelites for 20 pieces of silver, and they brought Joseph into Egypt. Now, as the brothers are sitting and having their meal, the thing that's still on their minds is murder. That's still what's going through their minds. They, they haven't changed their tune. You know, they cast Joseph into the pit to appease Reuben, yes, okay, to appease him. But they are still determined to kill Joseph. They're still determined to get rid of him. And so as they sit and they calmly eat their meal, murder is the topic of conversation. That's what they're talking about. And verse 25 tells us that as they're talking about this, as they're discussing this, they look up and they see the company of Ishmaelites approaching. Let's read verse 25. It says, And they sat down to eat bread, and they lifted up their eyes and looked, and behold, a company of Ishmaelites came from Gilead with their camels, bearing spicery and balm and myrrh, going to carry it down to Egypt. So they look up. They see this company approaching. It's a caravan of traders, and they're following the normal route. They're coming from the mountains of Gilead, and they're going down to the coast, and then down into Egypt. And the men in the caravan here are called Ishmaelites, and also, in verse 28, they're called Midianites. Now, there's no contradiction here. Morris writes this. This is not a contradiction. Both Ishmael and Midian were sons of Abraham, and their respective descendants were often together. The two names were often used interchangeably. So there's no contradiction here, okay? It's talking about the same group. It's Ishmaelites and Midianites together. And so this caravan of traders is actually made up of relatives. It's actually made up of people who are closely related to them. And as it approaches, Judah has an idea. Judah has an idea. Why not sell Joseph as a slave? You know, that's what he says there in verse 26. And Judah said unto his brethren, What profit is it if we slay our brother and conceal his blood? Come, let us sell him to the Ishmaelites. And let not our hand be upon him, for he is our brother and our flesh, and his brethren were content. You know, to Judah, this was the perfect solution. The perfect solution to their, their hatred, their envy, their bitterness. It still got rid of Joseph, but they didn't have to shed blood. They didn't have to actually get blood on their hands. They could satisfy their, their hatred, their desire to get rid of him out of their sight forever, at least they thought it was, and not be guilty of murder. You see, there's nothing praiseworthy here or noble about Judah's suggestion. Okay? There's nothing praiseworthy. There's nothing noble about Judah's suggestion. He does not suggest this out of love and concern for Joseph. His motivation here is still hatred, envy, bitterness, but now he sees an opportunity to get rid of their brother and at the same time make some money. You, know, you read verse 26, it says, uh, And Judah said unto his brethren, What profit is it if we slay our brother and conceal his blood? Come, let us sell him to the Ishmaelites. You see, profit, money, now comes into it, doesn't it? It's an added bonus. We can get rid of him and we can make a little bit of money on the side. Butler writes, this money looked better to Judah than murder. And Judah's motivation for not murdering Joseph was no compliment of his character. He was not motivated by the sanctity of life to keep Joseph alive, but only by silver. And so there's nothing commendable here. He just sees another option, another way to appease their hatred and their wrath. 
And in verse 28, the brothers agree, don't they? It says at the end of verse 27, And his brethren were content. Then there passed by Midianite merchantmen, and they drew and lifted up Joseph out of the pit and sold Joseph to the Ishmaelites for 20 pieces of silver. And they brought Joseph into Egypt. In verse 28, we see the other brothers, they readily agree. They readily agree to Joseph's scheme. And within a short space of time, Joseph has been lifted up out of the, the cistern and he's now been sold as a slave for 20 pieces of silver. You know, here we see just how little they valued the life of their brother. Just how little value they placed upon it. You know, they sold him for the measly amounts of 20 pieces of silver. It's not even... Sorry. I hope she's all right. They're selling for 20 pieces of silver. It's not even the amount of a normal slave, 30 pieces of silver. They're selling for 20. This is the measly amount they get for him. This shows us just how much, just how much they didn't love and care for their brother. You know, they may not have killed him, but they counted his life as worthless. Worthless. They sold their brother and then they stood by and they watched as Joseph was added to the line of fettered slaves and led away to a foreign land. One commentator noted this, the hardness of Joseph's brothers was seen in that they permitted him to live, but they did not care what the circumstances of his life would be. The hardness of their hearts was in great contrast to the anguish of soul that Joseph was having. The hardness of their hearts was a great contrast to Joseph's anguish. You, know, you, you think about it for a minute. Joseph has been thrown into the pit and he sat there for who knows how long. A couple of hours, maybe more. And his brothers have now come and they lifted him up out of the pits. And he was probably relieved, wasn't he? You know, as they threw the line down to him and they told him, put on your arms, and they lifted him up, he's probably relieved. Perhaps he hoped that things were about to get better. You know, that his brothers had come to their senses. But that fleeting hope soon turned to horror as he watches his brothers make the exchange for money as he is then bound as a slave and led away. Could you imagine how Joseph feels at this time? The horror that he felt, the anguish of soul compared to the hardness of their hearts. You see, the brothers, they may not have killed Joseph, but their actions were certainly no better than murder. They were no better than murder. You know, their actions have all, all been motivated by hatred, envy, and bitterness, haven't they? You know, they conspired to kill him. They threw him into the pit. They sold him into slavery. But there was still one final action that reveals to us their hatred and envy, and that is the lie they now tell to their father. The lie they tell to their father. Look in verse 29. It says, And Reuben returned unto the pit, and behold, Joseph was not in the pit. And he rent his clothes, and he returned unto his brethren, and said, The child is not, and I whither shall I go? And they took Joseph's coat, and killed a, a kid of the goats and dipped the coat in the blood. And they sent the coat of many colors and they brought it to their father and said, This have we found. Know now whether it be thy son's coat or no. And he knew it and said, It is my son's coat. And the evil beast hath devoured Joseph. Joseph is without doubt rent in pieces. 
And Jacob rent his clothes and put sackcloth upon his, sackcloth upon his loins and mourned for his son many days. And all his sons and all his daughters rose up to comfort him, but he refused to be comforted. And he said, For I will go down into the grave unto my son mourning. Thus he, his father wept for him. In verse 29, we, <clears throat> we learn that Reuben wasn't actually there when all this took place. Reuben was away at this time. We don't know where, we're not told. Perhaps he's gone out to the flocks in the field. But he wasn't there as they've sold Joseph into slavery. And he returns to the pit and he finds that Joseph is gone. Now he couldn't rescue him as he intended to do. And so Reuben is quite distressed. It says in verse 29 there, And Reuben returned unto the pit, and behold, Joseph was not in the pit, and he rent his clothes. He rents, rents his clothes. He, he is quite distressed at not finding Joseph there. Reuben is greatly distressed, and he rushes immediately to tell his brothers the startling news. Joseph is gone. Look at verse 30. And he returned unto his brethren and said, The child is not, and I, whither shall I go? He returns to his brothers and he says that Joseph's gone. Where is he? And here in verse 30, we see revealed to us the real reason why Reuben was so distressed by all this. You see, it was because he knew he was the oldest son and that he would bear the brunt of the blame. He was the oldest son and the blame would rest upon him. This is seen in the words there, the, the child is not and, with, and I, whither shall I go? Basically, he says here, what am I going to do now? See, it's not about Joseph. He says, what am I going to do now? Where can I go? You see, he knew if he returned home without Joseph that their father's wrath would be directed at him, the eldest son. He knew he would be held accountable. And you know, it seems that this was Reuben's motivation all along. You know, when he earlier on delivered them, his brother out of their hands, it seems that this was his motivation, that he knew he'd be held accountable. And so the reason he spoke out against murder is the fact that he would be blamed. And perhaps he even thought that, you know, by saving Joseph out of the pit and sending Joseph home, perhaps he would gain favor with their father. You've got to remember, Reuben was the firstborn. And Reuben has lost his birthright because of his sin with Bilhah, his father's concubine. And so it's possible that what, the reason why he's trying to rescue him is to send him home and Joseph will go back and say, Reuben rescued me. Gets him back in his good books with his dad too, doesn't it? But whatever the case may be, if Reuben really was concerned for Joseph, now was his opportunity to rescue him, wasn't it? If he really was concerned about him, now was his chance. You see, he could have immediately left and gone after the slave traders. And he would have soon caught up with them. But he doesn't do that, does he? He doesn't do that. Instead, what we see from Reuben is that he falls into line with the other brothers as they all now agree to lie to their father. In verse 31, it says, And they took Joseph's coat and killed a kid of the goats and dipped the coat in the blood. And they sent the coat of many colors and they brought it to their father and said, This have we found. Know now whether it be thy son's coat or no. You know, the lie that they now tell shows us once again how hard the brothers' hearts were. How hard their hearts had become because of the hatred, the envy, the bitterness that was therein. They are so callous 
that they now lie to their father. And even when they see him in great distress, they maintain the lie for the next 20 odd years. That shows you how hard their hearts have become. You know, the lie that they tell, of course, is the same lie that they originally planned back in verse 20. You know, when they planned to murder him, they planned to tell their father he was eaten by a wild beast. It's the same lie that they now use to cover selling him as a slave. As you read before, they dip his coat in goat's blood and they sent it to their father and they claim that they found it that way. Verse 32, it says, And they sent the coat of many colors and they brought it to their father and said, This have we found. Know now whether it be thy son's coat or no. They send it to their dad and they say, we found it this way. Now we know they actually didn't tell Jacob that Joseph was dead. They let him come to that conclusion, didn't they? They let him come to that conclusion on his own. And so Jacob, he immediately recognizes the coat, stained with blood, and he jumps to the conclusion that he's been killed by a wild animal, verse 33. And he knew it and said, it is my son's coat, an evil beast have devoured him. Joseph is without doubt rent in pieces. You know, this was the outcome they desired, wasn't it? Their deception had worked perfectly. This is what they wanted. They sent the coat back, stained with blood, so their father would think Joseph was dead. And Joseph was now out of their lives, out of their, their sights, and their father would not be looking for him either, would he? Because he thought he was dead. And in verse 34 and 35, we see the anguish that this lie causes Jacob. It says in verse 34, And Jacob rent his clothes and put sackcloth upon his loins and mourned for his son many days. And all his sons and all his daughters rose up to comfort him, but he refused to be comforted. And he said, For I will go down into the grave unto my son mourning. Thus his father wept for him. Here we see the anguish, the, the grief that it causes Jacob. You know, Jacob mourns, it says, for Joseph's death many days. His heart is broken. He refuses to be comforted. You see, this was the son that Jacob delighted in. This was the son who had proven himself to be godly, proven himself to be a man who feared the Lord, full of godly wisdom. This was the son he had chosen, appointed to receive the birthrights. And now that son is gone. And he's filled with sorrow. But even when the brothers see their father's state, they refuse to tell him the truth. And in fact, they, they instead hypocritically try to comfort him, don't they? Start of verse 35, it says, And all his sons and all his daughters rose up to comfort him. What hypocrisy. They knew how to comfort him. Tell him the truth. And he said they hypocritically try to comfort their father. You see, here we see the true extent of the hardness of their hearts. Hatred, envy, bitterness had filled their hearts to the point that they didn't care who they hurt. They didn't care that their actions caused their father such grief and sorrow for years to come. You see, the hatred and envy of the brothers set them on a dangerous path. They conspired to commit murder. They cast him into a pit, they sold him as a slave, and they cold-heartedly lied to their father to cover their sin. You know, we look at this terrible story and we wonder how could anyone ever do such terrible things 
to their own family. But as one commentator noted, all of us are potentially capable of doing what Joseph's brothers did. For the heart is deceitful above all things, and desperately wicked who can not. So the heart is deceitful and desperately wicked. And when sins like hatred, envy, bitterness, anger are not dealt with, they have the potential to lead to far greater sin. They have the potential to destroy us. You know, that's why the Apostle Paul warns us in Ephesians 4 to put away these sins. Let's just turn over there and we'll finish in Ephesians 4 this morning. In Ephesians 4 verse 31, it says, Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking be put away from you with all Malice. The Apostle Paul warns us to put away these sins, to put them away with all malice, to deal with them. Why? Because these are sins that destroy our lives. These are sins that destroy relationships, just as we've seen it do this morning in this family. Verse 32 tells us how the brothers should have responded. In Ephesians 4, verse 32, it says, And be ye kind one to another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as God, for Christ's sake, hath forgiven you. This is how the brothers should have responded. Love and forgiveness. Even if they thought Joseph was somehow responsible. Even if they believed he was in the wrong, it was his fault. They still should have forgiven him and shown him love. But instead they let their anger, their hatred, their, their wrath, their bitterness, their envy... They let it fester, they let it grow until their hearts were hard with sin. Beloved, the passage before us this morning shows us clearly the dangers when we don't deal with sin immediately in our lives. And in particular, the sins of hatred, envy and bitterness. These are dangerous sins. Dangerous sins that we must deal with promptly or or else they will destroy us from within. They will destroy our relationship with others, destroy our relationship with our family, and they will destroy our relationship with the Lord. Beloved, instead we must exercise love and forgiveness. As verse 32 declares, And be ye kind one to another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as God, for Christ's sake, hath forgiven you. Let's close in a word of prayer. Dear Lord and Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your word this morning. Lord, a familiar passage, but Lord, one that teaches us the grave consequences of not dealing with these sins. Lord, may you help us all to examine our own hearts and help us, Lord, to deal with these sins before they take hold, before they can destroy us from within. And Lord, may you help us to instead exercise love and forgiveness, the same love, the same forgiveness that we've experienced from you. Lord, bless now as we close, as we depart from this place. We also pray for Teresa too, that you have your hand upon her as well. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.